Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you guys for joining us on the first Sunday of Advent. I know it feels weird. We just finished up Thanksgiving. We didn't even give you a break. We were right back into another eating season. I'm sorry about that. This year, as we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask ourselves the question, what do we really want? And the reason why we have to ask this question is because I submit to you that I don't think that we really actually know most of the time. I don't think I've known since I was in the fifth grade. Back then, I knew exactly what I wanted, a Nintendo 64 and a Mountain Dew and a Snickers would probably be pretty good. A remote control car wouldn't hurt either, right? Back then, you know, remember when you had to, like, you know, ask Santa for stuff for Christmas? Like, you felt so confident. You were like, man, this is what I want. Now people are like, what do you want? And you're like, nah, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. I have no idea. Or like you ever have plans to go to dinner, but you don't know where to go, and you spend more time like debating on where to go to dinner in your head than you do actually eating dinner. Or uh, sometimes you go to like post something on Facebook or something or on social media, and you like spend more time thinking about whether or not you should post it or how you should write it, and then you're like, "Ah, I don't even care anymore. I don't think I'm even going to post this anymore. And then you get off social media for years. That's what happened to me. It was the anxiety over having to decide what to post, when to post, how to post. And I was just like, I don't care. I give up. And all of my millions of followers were very, very sad about that. And uh, they've revolted ever since. Have this happen to me all the time, too. You can't decide if you need to go to the post office first or the grocery store first. And you sit there. You're like sitting there. You're like trying to put on your shoes. And you're like, but if I do the post office first, then I, you know, have this. But if I go to the grocery store first, my food might get warm. That needs to be cold. Uh, and you end up like deciding for an hour and then you just skip them both, right? You're like, I don't even care anymore. I'm done. <clears throat> we can't help you with those things, so we're not going to try. But what we can do and what we're going to dive into this Advent season is really asking us the question whether the things we want are really what we want or more importantly, are they actually what we need? Because knowing uh, what we want... And actually acting like that, we can actually uh, see something about ourselves to be able to see what we really need in life. If we're actually able to get to the heart of what we're actually wanting in life, then we're actually able to get to better understand ourselves and get to understand what we want in life. For instance, the other day, Evie came home, and uh, she said she had a hard day, and I said, why? And she said, some other kids made fun of her at school, and she said, uh, they told her she was the worst kid in class. And I was like, well, what kind of a scale is this? You know, is this by, like, grade point average or height or something? I don't know. She didn't like this line of questioning. I should have just said, no, that's not good. That's not true. That's not right. Uh, But I was trying to figure it out, right? They just said, just worst, right? So we talked for a minute about how we love her, her teacher loves her, her friends probably love her too, most importantly, Jesus loves her. And I said uh, that some people, sometimes people have like a hard day, some people uh, have a bad time, some people have tough stuff going on at home, and they might say something that they don't uh, actually feel, right? Like maybe they pick on someone else to make themselves feel better. 
I started thinking about all the things that would happen to a first grader that might make them say that, right? Maybe they want the recognition of their peers, so they put someone else down, right? Maybe they get put down, uh, so they want that power over someone else. Maybe they have like an older brother that's picking on them all the time, so they try and like exert that authority over someone else. Maybe they are jealous of some attention that Evie gets, so they try and rob her of it. Maybe they saw an older uh, student or sibling do it and they try and just model after them because they want to be like them. All of these things are reasons why someone might do something that they don't want to do because they actually want something else. It's not like some first grader woke up that day and was like, man, today's the day I am going to put Evie in her place. That is the deepest desire of my heart that is going to bring me satisfaction. My very soul longs to let her know that she is the worst. Now, I hope that is no child in her class. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. And really, 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 when we get to the heart of it, I don't think that that's any of our heart's desires, right? Like, even the worst person that you can think of, like, they don't wake up that day and think, like, how can I just be terrible to someone? No, we have this, like, mixed bag of desires constantly inside of ourselves. Sometimes I think we're not even all that different from children. We have to ask ourselves, do we really want that person or do we want to just be in a relationship? Do you really want that car or do you want the prestige and power that goes with having that car? Do you really want to do that thing or go to that place or are you just trying to avoid dealing with something else? This is kind of the double layer of our emotions and what we want versus what we pretend that we want or what we even convince ourselves that we want that we're constantly having to deal with. Now, none of this is new for you guys, right? Like, surely you understand this. Surely you've dealt with this before. And this week, we are talking about one idea in particular. That's kind of the general idea we're going to be talking about this entire Advent series. But this week, we are talking one idea particularly, and it's security. Security is something that we all want. We want to be secure. We want to have things in control. It's why we make plans. It's why we have retirement accounts and savings accounts. It's why we plan to do this job so that we can get to this job. And then if we can do this, then we can do this, and then we'll be secure, right? Like, that's kind of like the end goal. That's the pot at the end of the rainbow that we're all sort of like aiming for and shooting for. We make these plans, we scrimp and we save so that we can buy this thing because it's going to provide for us this thing, it's going to give us this, and one day we're going to go and do this and then that, and everything in our lives comes down to these little sort of plans that we have, right? Now, these plans aren't bad. I'm not trying to say that that's an evil thing. In fact, they're mostly good. But the problem is that when we make these plans all the time, we can get comfortable in thinking that we are in control of our world. All of these plans can trick us into thinking that we're actually in control of our world. And the big idea that I want you to keep in your mind today is the more that we can control, the less we actually need to hope. The more that we can control, the less we actually need to hope. Do you see the feedback loop that this creates inside of ourselves, right? We hate it when something bad happens to us and our hope is let down. So then we try and control more to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And then the more that we can control, the more that we think that we can control. And then when something happens outside of our control, it feels like an attack on us, right? We are conditioned to think that what we can control is good and having to rely on something as fickle and frail as hope is bad. Do you see what's happening there? 
And we try and control more and more and more. We feel like we can control more and more and more. And then when something out of our control happens, it feels like an attack. It feels like it's harmful. It feels like it's evil. And this is ironic because this is the first time in history that we can control anywhere near as much as we can right now. I mean, you know what I'm really frustrated at? The Weather Channel? Like, they are wrong more often than they are right. I really just don't understand it. You're like, what's going to happen today? And they're like, well, it's a 40% chance that some precipitation can fall. We're not really sure what kind it's going to be. And then I'm like, well, this is covering a wide area. Is it 40% chance that snow's going to hit my head or 40% chance that snow will land somewhere in Denver? And I'm like asking all of these like, you know, deep questions of like, what's going to happen? What do I do? How do you plan around 40%? That's like almost, you know, 50%, but it's not quite. What are you supposed to do with all of that? And then you show up and nothing happens at all, right? Which I guess 40% is on the, on the better side of that scale. The point is, it's astounding, two things. One, that we think that we can predict the weather at all, right? Like, why are we even trusting these guys? I mean, after they have, like, done it wrong so many millions of times, why in the world are we even saying, like, oh, okay, I bet they're going to get it right this time? And then secondly, that we would actually plan our days around it. I mean, just 50 years ago, like, planning your day around the weather was like, well, uh, we're getting closer to December, so it's probably going to be colder than it was yesterday. That's about all that you have, right? You didn't know if you were walking out into a hurricane. You didn't know if you were walking out into a tornado. You had no idea what was going to happen whatsoever. And now, fast forward just a few years, just a couple of generations, and I'm frustrated when the Weather Channel, this, like, magical predictive service, gets it wrong. That's crazy, right? And think about all the other things that you can control in your world that you used to not be able to. We have so much control over what we eat, where we go, what we do, all of these things. I mean, it feels like the environment is not even like hardly a factor on me anymore. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And it lulls me into this idea of security that says like, I can actually make decisions for myself. I can actually be in control of the universe, at least as it pertains to me. If you've ever been faced with some sort of tragedy in your life, then you know that this is not true. In fact, tragedy sometimes comes into our life just to highlight this very fact, just to remind us that we are not in control. And I was thinking a lot about this this week, that God does not really operate in terms of security. He doesn't offer security to us. He doesn't offer a like ABC one, two, three plan for your life. He doesn't say, hey, if you do this, then this exactly will happen. Now he does have promises for us in our life and I believe that those are true. But more often than not, God actually trades in hope rather than security. God almost always trades in hope. I want you to think about that for a moment. Most of the good things that come from God, don't they really only come as hopes? I mean, we could get into it, like, is hope in an all-powerful, all-controlling, and benevolent God, is it really like a hope? Because you can kind of trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Like, I realize you could get sort of, like, lost in that in your mind. But at the end of the day, even when he promises something to you, even when you trust that something is going to happen, it is still a hope. It is not actually a certainty because you have no proof that it is actually going to happen. God is saying, hey, you've trusted me before. You can trust me again. This is going to happen. And that leaves you in a place of hope. In fact, think about this from Hebrews 11. This is the definition of what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. That is what having faith means. It means being sure of things that you have hoped for. I love this, by the way, just as a small aside, as sort of like a response to a critique of Christianity where there are people are like, well, that's not true. That's just what you hope is true. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That is exactly what I hope. It is my highest and best hope. I hope that the world is actually this way. And in a weird way, that's actually confirming to my hope when you come around to sort of the back end of it, that like this is the highest and best possible hope that I could ever actually have. And that's what actually confirms for me that it is true, that this is the best possible scenario that the world could ever have. Someone might say, you wish that there was this loving God up there controlling the world and working to forgive us and let us live forever with him. And yes, yes, I do. I very much hope in that. It's the best thing that I could ever hope, and it gives me more to trust in. Very often when God calls us to follow him, he does not deal in certainties. He deals in hopes. Let me give you one example from the birth narrative of Jesus as how God trades in hope. Now, this is uh, from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from, his, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now I want you to recognize that's not a lot to go off of, right? You got a weird story, you got a weird dream. I want you to just for just a moment, this is the like main reason why we have Advent every year. You need to put yourself into Joseph's shoes right here. If you had a weird dream with a weird kind of cryptic message about it, do you think it would be enough for you to just put your entire life into this idea? Would it be enough for you to say, hey, I am going to change every single plan that I have so that I might put all of my eggs in this basket. I am going to change everything about this. And at the end of the day, God didn't promise anything. Or I mean, he told him what would happen, but it's not like there is a certainty anywhere in here. All that Joseph has to go off of is a hope. A hope that something that sounded terrible, like your fiance being pregnant, was actually something wonderful. A hope that potentially being the laughingstock of your friends and neighbors and peers could result in you being a central part of God's unfolding plan. A hope that this weird and strange story would be the salvation of humanity. That's all Joseph had to go off of. A hope. So what did Joseph do? Verse 24 and 25 says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
It's funny to me that the entire Christmas story is built on a normal guy living a normal life. Joseph wasn't trying to do anything. He didn't say, hey, he didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a central figure in the unfolding story of God. He didn't say, I want to be a hero. I want to be this main character. People will talk about me for generations. He was just a normal guy, just wanted to do normal stuff, just wanted to get married, have a normal life. And an angel visits him in the middle of the night, offers him nothing more than a simple hope. And in his choice, in this one singular moment of choosing hope over control, hope over security, hope over what he could see and put his hands on and feel and touch and know, in choosing hope over control, he changed the fate of humanity forever. Here's the crazy thing I want to invite you to this Christmas. I want you to invite you, or I want to invite you to hope this Christmas. And I know uh, this is hitting you probably one of two ways. Uh, for some of us in the room, it sounds trite, right? It's just, okay, yeah, hope. Everybody's talking about that. We have like a little light-up sign, actually, that we pulled out for Christmas yesterday, and it just says hope, and we'll put it somewhere up in the house, and it'll be remind us. You know, it's just cute, right? Hope kind of gets written off as one of those, like, nonsense words. I don't know if Joseph would have described it that way, putting his entire life behind a hope. I don't know if it sort of becomes nonsense and abstract anymore. I think the other way that many of us can hear it in this room right now is sort of an immediate negative reaction. Man, why hope? Man, hasn't the world just let your hopes down enough for you not to trust them anymore? Like, I feel like there's been so many things, especially the past few years, plans that have been in the works for years, things that you hoped would happen, come falling apart. Feels like the older and older and more curmudgeonly that I get, the less and less that I even allow myself to hope, right? Feels like sometimes the world can beat you down so much that it's difficult to believe that your hopes can ever actually come true. And so what I'm inviting you to do is not something that is easy. For as trite as it sounds to just invite you to hope for this Christmas, this Advent season, I'm not asking you to do something easy or something simple. I am asking you to work against the world that you can see, to work against the reality that you experienced, to work in direct opposition of all of the times that you have put your hope in something and it has been let down. And I am asking you instead to put your hope and the creator and sustainer of the universe who sent his son here on earth to die for your sins and for mine so that we might enjoy eternal life with him forever. Because we know in that hope we can never be disappointed. In that hope we can never actually be let down. That hope will never go astray. I'm asking you this Christmas to hope again. To hope that what was terrible can be used for something good. To hope that the world can actually work out to something good. To hope that more good can come. To hope that there is a God in control of this universe and he cares about you and your life. 
to hope that there is a God up there who cares so much about your life that he cares even about that situation that you have given up hope on. He cares about that thing that your heart desires so much that the world is telling you and even your mind is telling you, hey, this can't actually be true, that the God of all the universe, the God of all power is the God of all love, and he actually loves you and cares about that very thing. And here's what I think. Uh, I don't think that all of our hopes will be answered this Advent season. I don't think that's how God works. That's how Santa works. Uh, That's not how God works. I don't think that if you hope something enough, then all of a sudden it'll just come true. That's not how hope works either. That's not how faith works. If God was like that, it'd be some sort of cosmic gumball machine that we would just put a quarter in, and then he would give us exactly what we want. But I do believe this. That in hoping and in trusting in God, that that is the only pathway towards him doing something miraculous in your life. That is the only way. That actually putting your faith and trust in him is the only way that he is going to do something so transformative that would maybe even be beyond your greatest hopes. Beyond what you would allow yourself to hope. And I'm inviting you this Christmas not to just walk into it with the normal sort of like, okay, I'll do the thing, I'll go through the motions. But actually hope that something amazing could happen. Maybe you want to write your hopes down. Keep some sort of a journal. I hope that you're doing some sort of Advent devotionals. We're going to be... uh, Uh, releasing some of those that we like a lot uh, on social media and stuff over the next few weeks. I really, really encourage you. But maybe as a part of that, you're actually writing your hopes down. You're saying, hey, God, this is what I am hoping for this Advent season. I can't guarantee you'll get everything that you ever hoped for, but I can guarantee you'll be surprised by the way that God works in and through you in that. This season, I invite you to that absurdity. I invite you to that reality denying. I invite you to that uh, joy that surpasses understanding. I invite you to that hope in something more than a regular day in, day out, black and white world can ever actually offer. And I'm excited to see where God is going to meet us all in that. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.